Hi, this is Nathan McCree, and you're listening to the Sound Architect Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Sound Architect Podcast. I am Sam Hughes, and I'm joined by the phenomenally talented Nathan McCree. Thanks for joining us today. How are you? Hi, Sam. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm very well. Very well. Thank you. Jolly good. Now, before we talk about anything else, because there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up at the moment, let's discuss your journey into music composition. How did you first get into composing music? Um, it was quite a long time ago. It was when I was about 12, 13 years old, I suppose. Then I, I, I sort of became interested in synthesizers. Um, you know, I was listening to Depeche Mode and, but in, you know, early Depeche Mode. Yeah. And, and a few other sort of um, electronic bands that were coming up at that time. Um, and I just I just really wanted a keyboard. So I kept harking on to my dad about it. And eventually he did. He bought me a Korg Delta um, for my 13th birthday. And, you know, it had all the sliders on it and everything. But, it, of course, it had no memory presets or anything like that. No MIDI. You know, it was before all of those technologies came about. Yeah. Every, every time I made, a, a, like, a really cool sound on it, if I wanted to make another sound, I had to literally erase the one I just made. And, and you know, so I, I kind of got used to memorising where all the faders were to right. to get back to the sound that I made, you know, a few weeks ago and stuff like this. So it really did kind of teach me a lot about sound design because I was constantly changing my sounds and going back to sounds I had before and this kind of thing. And with sort of with that sort of, um, if you like, excitement behind the sort of sound design side of things, um, I borrowed my dad's reel-to-reel four-track tape recorder and started layering synth patterns on top of synth patterns and just kind of naturally started building songs, really. Oh, nice. Um, and and that was it really. From then on, I, I got the bug, and I never I never stopped writing since. <laughs> so, is there a moment that you would consider your big break, so to speak? Um, well, you know, I guess getting the job at Core Design uh, initially as a programmer, yeah. But then, uh, you know, when I'd when I'd written the um, the sort of test music for the music sequencer, which I'd been tasked to to program. When I wrote that first music um, and Jeremy liked it, I guess that was my big break because at that point I became fully employed composer. Yeah. I wouldn't say that was my big break into sort of, you know, publicity or money, but it was certainly a break in my career. That's what I really wanted to do. And from that moment, you know, I, I was doing it full time and and I've been the happiest bloke ever since. Yeah, it must have been life changing when that happened. Oh, it was just brilliant. It was my dream come true, you know. Yeah, and programming is not the usual routine that people might consider. No, it was um, it was something which I chose to do at university um, to kind of to guarantee me an income, if you like. Again, it was on my dad's advice. You know, get something solid. You know, get something that you can always earn money from. You can always pick up your music whenever. You know, I had all these lectures from him. <laughs> yeah, I think most creatives can relate. <laughs> yeah. But you know, his advice was sound and and safe. And and so that that's what I did, you know. And and I was into computer games at the time, and so computer programming was kind of like my second hobby, if you like. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know that 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 was what I chose to do, and it, it seemed like a pretty safe career. Yeah, definitely. And what would you say is the most challenging thing about being a full time composer? It's some sometimes it's quite difficult to. Um, should I, you know, get it right first time? I think, you know, a lot of the time in the in the games industry, you're working under time pressure. 
unfortunately, and this is a, a corner which I've been fighting for the last 20 years, you know, I've been trying to get developers to engage the musician at a much earlier stage in the production. Yeah. So that we have more time to, you know, really think and kind of settle into the project and, and, and try some ideas, you know. You know, when, you, when you're writing new music or writing something in a, in a style that's never been written before, there's no guarantee you're going to get it right first time. You know, you're, you're, you're pioneering the way. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so I, I think to expect a musician to come up with, you know, the best idea since sliced bread, you know, on his first go, I think that's, that's a real big pressure. But that's mm. something which, unfortunately, we pretty much have to do every time. Um, now I think, you know, because of that, sometimes you get it right and sometimes you don't, you know, there, there's many projects that I've written that I think, oh, you know, actually that was a bit rubbish, you know, but again, yeah. it's just because of the time pressure and, and there's no time to go back. There's no time to rethink it. You know, you just have no, to go so with the first eye you've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say that's probably one of, one of the biggest challenges. The other one is, um, trying to translate what a non-musical person, uh, <laughs> what, what his ideas for the music are. So, you know, when, I, when I'm talking to a producer, they say, oh, we want it like this, or we want it like that. And it's like, well, what do you mean by that? You know, yeah. for instance, one of the briefs I had uh, a few years back was, um, it was for a game called BC, which was a mixture of uh, 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 cavemen mixed with dinosaurs. Okay. Oh, cool. And I said, well, okay. So, what, 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 what's your ideas? What, what kind of style are you thinking for this? And and he said, well, we want tribal, but not tribal. Right. <laughs> so you know how, how what what am I supposed to you know work out from that? So I know, yeah. things like that are really difficult. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges is, is trying to. Like I say, trying to translate what people's ideas are, trying to understand what they're trying to say, uh, you know, with, with the language that they use, which is not, you know, what what a, a musician would would use talking to another musician. Um, yeah, that that that's that can be quite difficult. Yeah, it can always be amusing the sort of descriptions you get in sound or music briefs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, some of them are just comical. <laughs> so you've you've composed for various projects. You've done sound design for for various projects, but obviously one of the the most iconic work that you've done has been for the Tomb Raider series. So tell us about the process of working with Core Design and coming up with this theme, as well as the rest of the music. Um, well, you know, when I was working at Core 20 years ago, it was very different then to how uh, uh, games are developed now. Um, we didn't really have a game design document like we do these days. Uh, there wasn't any documentation at all. It was no. just, um, you know, uh, a group of people in a room talking about what we could not couldn't do and, and trying ideas. Um, you know, somebody would say, oh, wouldn't it be cool if if Lara could swing onto that wire over there? And somebody would go, oh, actually, I think I could probably make that work if we did this, if we did that, if we just changed the editor a little bit, blah, blah, blah. And someone would go, yeah, yeah OK, well, I know how to do that. Well, you know, And then the idea would happen a few hours later and she'd be jumping and grabbing hold of this this wire, you know. So the, the game really kind of unfolded like that, Um it was just a big bubbling pot of ideas. Um, I guess the direction initially came from uh, Toby Gard. You know, it was his vision to sort of create this interactive movie. Um, 
you know, when he came to talk to me about the music, um, you know, this was very much on the forefront of his mind. Um, and so it, it seemed natural to sort of pick on classical music. If, if that's what we were making, if we were making an interactive movie, then, you know, film score was the sort of first thing I was thinking of. But then we we spent quite a bit of time talking about Lara Croft, her character, you know, what she liked, what she disliked, how she was brought up, you know, all this kind of thing. And that started to kind of paint a picture in my head of the kind of music which I thought would describe her. Yeah. And 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 I think ultimately <clears throat> the the big the difference with the music for Tomb Raider than uh most other games I was listening to at the time, or indeed had been writing for at the time, um, most of the other games were kind of filled with, you know, battle music or yeah. pumping dance rhythms for, you know, driving games, you know, or, or really sort of high energy um, stuff for sports games and things like this. But there was no real, um, you know, emotional content, no sort of filmic you know uh, uh emotions that that you get um you know when it, when you're watching a, a big screen a big hollywood screen movie and i thought you know kids watch movies like disney movies and all all sorts of stuff and there's loads of emotional content in there there's loads of sad yeah. bits and sorrowful bits and and then sort of more you know big sort of vista scenarios and and this kind of thing and i thought well look if they enjoy that they would enjoy the same content being in computer games. So I thought, yeah. let's let's go further down that line of the interactive movie and let's put or try to put those emotions into the game. So that was really my my main sort of direction from it, from from a sort of personal point of view. I just I I, I tried to sort of imagine those emotional moments um, in the game and and just wrote a kind of set of tunes which I thought might be useful. Um, because again, there was there was no um, there was no design document where you know it said we need this tune for this bit or we need this tune to say this about about this person at this point. There was none of that, um, and I didn't really see much of the game either because it was still you know in pieces basically. Yeah. So uh, I needed to kind of work in advance of the implementation. So it was a case of okay, well. I think I might need this kind of emotion. I think I might need this. I think I might need this bit. So I wrote these tunes. And then when the implementation was ready, which was in fact a f literally a few days before we were set to release. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay, right now, now let's put the music in. And and then came the test, you know, do, did I have enough and did I have all the right emotional pieces to to join it all together? And to be honest with you, I don't really think I did, but <laughs> I think what was there was enough to generate the interest. I think I think people got yeah. the idea that, you know, we could have this kind of content in games and, and it could be rewarding. So, uh, you know, it, it came out OK in the end. Yeah, well, it's obviously quite a renowned soundtrack and it's obviously quite fantastic. And But as you say, the first game doesn't have as many tracks as the others does it is it, is it six or or eight yeah, about, about eight i think yeah 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 so obviously it's very limited compared to the others how did you develop it as you got onto tomb raider 2 and 3 well you know from tomb raider 1 we learned an awful lot um <clears throat> and it it began to emerge for me um that the best use of my tunes uh was to sort of 
spot place them at particular moments in the game when something happened or when Lara entered a certain room and she saw something or, you know, this kind of thing. So I, I sort of describe that as location-specific music. Yeah. Um, so I kind of expanded on that idea with Tomb Raider 2. Um, you know, we had the implementation available much earlier on in the project, so I was able, and, and we expanded on how that triggering system worked as well. You know, yeah. instead of Lara just walking over a hotspot on the map, um, we could have it triggered when an enemy walked over a certain hotspot. So enemies could now trigger music. Um, so that was quite useful. Um, and also when certain things happened, I could use the logic from the programmers um, when, you know, a trap was triggered and something hit something. You know, it was possible. And I'm not saying that I used all this technology, but it was possible to trigger music from certain events that were happening in the game. So yeah. it gave me a lot more scope to um design and think about how the music could could work i was still under a lot of time pressure and you know again we were still uh really you know pioneering the technology um so it it wasn't like i had a um a strong plan at all it was like oh we can do that oh great okay right i'll write something oh we can do that oh okay i'll write something else you know it, it just kept sort of rolling out and rolling out um but you know I, I i did have a little bit more time to think about where lara was going and and try to kind of describe the places she went to a little bit more so you know we yeah. got the pieces like venice sort of came out of that idea um and uh, the skidoo as well, you know, I sort of decided, it, you know, with her getting on a vehicle, there was the place where the energetic, you know, kind of dance element to the music could be used effectively. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I still kept the, the sort of movie score um, to sort of accompany that piece, if you like. Well, in fact, it was, it was the dance and the, the kind of accompanied and it was the movie score that kind of drove the melody and stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I kept the main melody in there, although I put it in the minor key, just to be a different, you know. Yeah, just to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, it was enjoyable. Um, but I think I think with, um, with with both those projects, you know, uh, the, the frustrating thing was just, oh, you know, I wish we had more time. Yeah, that's always the way, though, isn't it? You know, you always want more time. Definitely. But it sounds like your programmer brain really helped with how you approach the music. So understanding the logic of the system and understanding what the programmers were doing really enabled you to enhance the musical experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, it still does to this day. Um, it has been very useful um, coming from a programming background um, because, you know, when it, when I was talking to the programmers on the, on the Tomb Raider projects, you know, and I was saying okay, I, I need a, a trigger for this or I, or I need to, you know, some kind of logic that, that tells me when this has happened or when that's happened. I, I, I knew through my experience with programming whether I was asking them the earth or whether I was asking them a five-minute job, you know. Yeah, so they couldn't blag their way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, yeah. I mean, they didn't try to then, but it has been tried on in, 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 in recent years, I'll tell you. Yeah, I've, I've had some run-ins with programmers and caught them out a few times. So, you know, it it has helped me, certainly. Um and, and I think, yeah, you know, from a from a logical thinking point of view, um, 
you know, I enjoy getting involved with, with design meetings. Again, certainly later in my career, I really do enjoy that. I enjoy talking to programmers and working out yeah. how we're going to do things, how we're going to design um, sound systems, you know, that, that react like they're real, but um, um, it's all cleverly programmed. Yeah, I, I do yeah. enjoy all that stuff. So speaking of Tomb Raider, there's a lot of exciting news coming up. In the, in the next month or so for fans, isn't there? So you can tell us a bit more about what's coming up soon. Yeah, so um, the first thing we're going to do is a live orchestral performance of the Tomb Raider Suite. The Tomb Raider Amazing. Suite is a collection of the most popular tunes which I wrote for Tomb Raider 1, 2, and 3. And I have, uh, over the last four months, I've been extending each one of those tunes to be a full-length three-minute track because in the, in the game... In the original uh, games, uh, some of the cues are only 20 seconds long or 10 yeah, seconds yeah. long. So <laughs> I've basically stretched out the most popular pieces into three minutes each, some of them longer. Um, and I think there are 25 tunes in all which comprise the album. Cool. And in fact, no, I, that's actually wrong. There are 22 tunes that comprise the album. But for the show, I've written three melody uh, medleys uh which will be used to finish off the show which um basically all the tunes squashed together which is quite oh, wow. interesting um so that's going to be performed by the royal philharmonic concert orchestra we have um a 16 voice choir as well and uh it will be conducted by uh robert zeigler and we've got lights and a huge video screen showing various images and video footage from the games um and that's happening on the 18th of december at the apollo in hammersmith wow very exciting it must be amazing to, to kind of finally see your music being played by such a amazing orchestra as well yeah you know it's uh it's it's been a. Uh, a lifelong dream, pretty much, I suppose, um, yeah. to hear my stuff played by an orchestra. It has happened in the past um, with uh, Video Games Live. They used uh, two tracks from Tomb Raider back in 2005. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and I went over to Hollywood Bowl to see that, and that, that was that was pretty incredible. But, you know, two tracks, and, and they were uh, uh, cut sections of the tracks as well so the the whole section only lasted about two minutes yeah yeah so to see this performance now at the apollo on the 18th of december you know i'll i'll see a full 90 minutes of of my music played by live orchestra it's just gonna it'll blow me away i'm sure yeah i think it'll blow a lot of the fans away as well and when's the uh when's the album coming out so the album we we wanted to get that out uh this year but Unfortunately, we ran short of time and we really had to divert our attention to the live show. Yeah, sure. The, the live show was always planned to kind of hit the date around the 20th, release, uh, 20th anniversary release of Tomb Raider 1. Um, I think the original date was October the 24th or something like that. Right, yeah. We tried for that date, but the Apollo was booked and so we had to move it a little bit. And in the end, the date that, that we, we, we were left with was December the 18th. Now, that, that's okay. That's fine for me. But it was the, it was the live concert that, that we had to focus on. That was the one that we wanted to hit this year. 
um, to, to celebrate the 20th anniversary. So although we haven't got the album ready in time, um, we were still planning on doing that. Um, that will happen early next year. Um, there's still a bit of work to kind of get that ready, but we've already done it, you know, a lot of it. One thing we've written the music and we've got all the scores. So, you know, yeah, well, that's the main thing. You know? <laughs> the, the biggest chunk of work has been done. It's now just, you know, uh, getting the money together, uh, booking the studio and the orchestra. So that's going to happen, like I say, um, early part of next year. And uh, we're also planning on making a documentary about this whole process uh, that uh, we, we, we do have um, some uh, business finance in place for that. So, yeah, that that's another thing which, we, which we're really looking forward to. Um, we're going to be interviewing lots of people from the... Um, original team um and 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 showing the process of putting this album together from start to finish really that, that's that's the plan well that'd be really interesting i hope so <laughs> so obviously the 20th anniversary was a big inspiration for it but did anything else kind of provide a catalyst for you to get this kickstarted this year um well you know i've been trying to get this project off the ground for the best part of 18 years i think uh, it was wow. uh, it was after Tomb Raider one. I I had a call from Decca Records and they wanted to release the soundtrack. I think this oh, was nice. in this was in nineteen ninety seven, um, and I talked to Jeremy about that. Um, but at the time, I don't, I don't think the market was right to convince the people that would have had to pay for it. I think this yeah. was the trouble. You know, um, I think, uh, and 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 as as the years went on, you know, I I kept in touch with um with people at square enix i kept talking to them about the album um and i kept getting negative feedback from them saying no we don't want to do it no we don't want to do it and this went on and on and on i think four or five times i tried square enix and eventually in 2014 um i took this current business plan to them uh, and i teamed up with uh, david burns from eden films he's a film producer um, and brought him on board to look after the uh, the documentary. And, and I think the whole package, you know, the live show, the album and the documentary, I think that combined with the 20th uh, anniversary, yeah. I think that that was uh, that was the thing which which uh, seemed to be right for Square Enix. And they agreed and we sorted out the contracts and here we are. Yeah, I think like with all, like you say, the kind of the compilation of the whole package, as well as the the release of Tomb Raider again with the reboots and quite a lot of things have come together, especially with the the raise in recognition for video game music. So video game music now is, you know, exactly. I think that's that's a big help. You know, like I said, you know, the market probably wasn't ready for it in 1997, but I think now, you know, certainly there's been big big moves over in Japan with video game soundtracks and. And there, there are a lot more now uh, live orchestral performances of game soundtracks happening um, all over the world. So, yeah, you know, I, I think it makes sense now for, for this album to be released. Yeah, fantastic. So apart from having hopefully a massive rest over Christmas, what else lies in the future for you now, apart from the album? Um, well, I, a, apart from my sort of day job, which is, you know, uh, uh, managing and producing audio for computer games. Um, I also would like to start to release um, many of my previous game soundtracks from my days at Core Design. I, I would love to release the album for 
Soulstar, for Swagman, for Heimdall 2. Um, there's another one, Battle Engine Killer, which I think is a really great soundtrack. So I would I would like to do the same thing with those. Um, maybe some slightly different things. I think uh, I think Heimdall or Swagman could lend themselves to a ballet performance. So that's oh, something wow. which I might consider. It's very interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I think you know, what one once Tomb Raider is done, you know, I I think it will show people that. You know, there 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 is value in game music. Um, yeah, not necessarily just attached to a game, um, but um, for all other kinds of um, media. Um, you know, I I've heard some absolutely amazing game music recently, and I, and I've just thought, you know, this could certainly be a performance on its own. But you know, apart from that, it could oh, be yeah. it could be attached to all sorts of things. You know, some really beautiful stuff out there. A lot of opportunity out there, isn't there? Definitely. Um, so that, you know that that's what I'd like to focus on, but you know that those few projects that I've just mentioned could keep me busy for five years. Yeah, <laughs> definitely keep you on your toes for a while. Yeah, for sure. So before we let you go, is there anything else you want to tell the fans about the live show that's coming up? Well, yeah, we have a few extra special nuggets for them. Um, one, we have the original voice of Lara Croft, uh, Shelley Blonde. She is going to be presenting the show live on stage. So not only will they be able to hear Lara Croft, they'll also be able to see the original Lara Croft as well. Um, oh, so that's quite good. Um, we're very happy to have Shelley on board, and it, and it's great for me to be working with her again after 20 years. Yeah, yeah. We also have uh, Megan Marie. She is going to join us on stage, um, and she's going to be hosting uh, a prize draw, uh, which every ticket holder will be entered into. Um, and we're and she's bringing some special gifts to give away, and we also have a very special gift to give away to those winners. So we're very excited um, to have uh, Megan on board. Um, and I have to say, it's been great to have uh, the support from Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix on this project. They have been fantastic. Um, their, their support for the project has been really, really great, and I'm I'm very um, grateful for them. And I would also um, like to tell the fans that um, I, I made a, a, a brief video on Facebook uh, yesterday um, telling them about the possibility of a world tour. Um, and, and this is possible. I have spoken to Ulive about this. Um, Ulive are the, the, um, the co-producers for the live show. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, they have said that if the... London show is a success, then that will greatly increase our chances of taking this on a world tour. So I know a lot of the fans have asked me if it's possible we can come to, you know, a city near them. At the moment, I've had to say, well, no, it's just the one show in London. But there is this yeah. possibility if we get the London show to be a success. So I need everybody to tell as many people as possible we really need to pull together to get everybody to come to the show in london you know even the people that can't come if they can tell as many people that that they know then hopefully some of their friends will be able to go um we're running a number of competitions where people can win uh free tickets um there's also um a a donor uh a kind of donor situation going on on Twitter where 
people that can't go to the show are donating money to people that can't afford to go but can go. Oh wow, that's awesome! I know it's amazing. So there, th- this is all happening on Twitter. I think uh, uh, Stella um, from TombRaiders.net started this idea, and it's absolutely fantastic. And people are, uh, are joining in. People are offering to pay for other people to go to the London show, so that it will convince you live to take the show on a world tour, and then they will be able to go and see the tour when it comes to their town. Oh wow, fantastic! It's such a great idea. But th- but this is. This is my appeal now to the Tomb Raider fans to really try your hardest, you know, and 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 tell everybody, you know, uh, you know, we did an an amazing uh, a go of that yesterday. Um, the video I posted has had thousands of views, hundreds of shares. Um, it, it really did go ballistic yesterday. But I know we can do more. I know we can do better than that. Um, and and. I just want to say to everybody, thank you so much so far, but keep going, keep pressing that share button. We will make this happen. Such a fantastic note to leave it on. So great to hear the support from all the fans and all the passion for the for the concerts. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's uh, I, I, I keep having to pinch myself that it's happening. And, uh, you know, like I say, I'm, I'm just really, really grateful for the support from the fans. I think without that support... I wouldn't I wouldn't be here now. I'd have probably given up on this project a long time ago, but they've kept emailing me, they've kept asking me to release the music and and that's that's really energized me to to do it. Absolutely wonderful. Now we wish you all the best with the concert. We're very excited for it and thanks again for joining us today. It's been fantastic. Thanks very much Sam. Good to talk to you.